0: As I mentioned in the welcome, this is the first Sunday of Lent. uh, And because we love a good sermon series amongst the pastoral staff, we have another one uh, for this sacred season. It's entitled An Acceptable Time. An Acceptable Time. We're going to be looking at the notion of time uh, and marking time in Lent as we open ourselves up to who God is and who God is calling us uh, to be. I'm thankful to. My colleague, Dr. Chris Holmes, who had the idea for this service, who put it all together, including the texts. But in this first week, I'm going to actually extend what is in the bulletin for the scripture text. Instead of uh, ending on verse 10, in verse 10, rather, I'm going to end in verse 13. Uh, so I'm going to take it all the way uh, to verse 13. So listen to God's word to you uh, and to me. Paul writes, We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to god for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god as we work together with christ we urge you also not to accept the grace of god in vain for the prophet says At an acceptable time i have listened to you and on a day of salvation i have helped you see now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We're putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, Genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We're treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well-known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. There is no restriction in our affections, but only in yours. In return, I speak as I would to children. Open wide your hearts also. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open uh, your word afresh to us this day. We're not here by accident, but by your grace. And we lean into that grace even now for a word from you. Speak right to our hearts, to the circumstances of our lives. Encourage us and equip us to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name That we pray. Amen. If you haven't heard of it, uh, or perhaps you have heard of it but have paid it uh, very little attention, I would encourage you, whether today or sometime this week, to Google the Asbury Revival. To Google the Asbury Revival. Asbury College and Asbury Seminary are located in Wilmore, Kentucky, just southwest of uh, the city of Lexington. And on February 8th, the college's regular chapel service formally ended with an unremarkable number of students and a simple musical ensemble staying behind for a time of worship and impromptu prayer. The prayer and the worship songs continued into the afternoon They continued into the evening and went into the wee hours of the morning. As the sun rose on the next day, there were students and faculty still there, continuing to pray and to worship. Word got out around campus so that more students, more faculty, more administrations came to the chapel. And by that next day, February the 9th, every one of the 1,500 seats in the chapel was filled. They were praying and singing, as it's described to us by the Apostle Paul, without ceasing, literally. They were opening themselves up to the presence of God in a fresh and powerful way. By February the 12th, news and social media coverage began to spread across the country and across the globe Detailing what was happening there in Wilmore, and people not just from the region but across the nation, and even international folks descended on Wilmore, Kentucky, to see what God was doing in this chapel service, in this revival. Now, I want to be very clear with you Uh, this was not a, a sawdust revival in a makeshift tent with fire and brimstone seeping off the lips of the preacher, nor was this, as we're accustomed to see in these days, an overproduced, arena-packed gathering with Christian celebrities on the marquee. That's not what this was. I think Thomas Lyons described it best in a recent article in The Atlantic when he said this, In a time of factionalism and celebrity culture and performance, what's happening at Asbury is radically humble. These students have chosen hiddenness and simplicity, selfless hospitality as they welcomed people from around the world, and a relentless hunger for Jesus what started with an ordinary chapel service that looked like it was going to have an ordinary ending, when the speaker of the day simply prayed, God, revive us with your love, this service turned into an almost two-week, uninterrupted worship and prayer gathering with over 50,000 people in total coming to Wilmore. And over 100 million people connecting to the live stream service online. In a mysterious and transcendent way, people were communing with God and communing with one another and opening themselves up to God's presence right there in that time and that space. Now, if you're like me uh, and you heard of it or you're hearing about it just now for the first time, you might be observing in your own heart, in your own spirit, a little bit of skepticism. I know I was when I saw friends starting to post about it, friends that I knew uh, from seminary who had gone to Asbury College. My skepticism antenna went up. And and there's reasons why, and, and if you're like me, perhaps, You're prone to psychoanalyze such occurrences and categorize them as large group emotionalism, or some sort of religious peer pressure as students saw their peers and their friends doing. Uh, This prayer and this worship in this chapel, they thought, well, I should do it too to, to fit in. Perhaps some of us would associate such happenings with a Christianity that is very, very foreign to us. We might even describe it as a little bit odd. Perhaps our Presbyterianism, which facilitates our worship gatherings and our prayer life with decency and order, perhaps that Presbyterianism is hard pressed to believe that God could or would work or show up even when the benediction has been listed in the bulletin. After all, right? Let's be honest. You all get fidgety if we go longer than an hour. (laughs) Could you imagine worshiping and praying for almost two weeks uninterrupted? As I was observing the skepticism in my own heart, I came to a conclusion, and at least it's the conclusion for this morning, and there's possibly more to be discovered here as I have considered what happened in Kentucky, that I think for me, I'm skeptical because I'm afraid of it. Like I'm skeptical because I like to control things. I I like to do things in order. I, I, I like our liturgy. I Like the flow, I like knowing there's a beginning and an ending. I like being in control of my spiritual life. I like to know what's next. I like to know what to expect. But at least for me, my skepticism was rooted in in fear, afraid of something like this happening in my own life, or what if it happened in the life of the church? It's so unpredictable, so uncontrollable. It's like the story of a, of a pastor I heard about once who visited a parishioner who had been given the untenable news that she would never walk again. The pastor drove from uh, the church, uh, went to the hospital, parked in the deck, went to her room and walked in and found her uh, in a wheelchair. And he said to her, what can I pray for? What are you praying for? How can I pray with you in this time? And she said, I want you to pray for a miracle. I want you to pray that I can walk again. And with skepticism and suspicion in his own heart, the pastor half-heartedly prayed for a miracle, doubtful that such a thing was possible. And at the conclusion of the prayer, The woman's eyes filled with tears. She put her hands on the rails of her wheelchair, on the arms of her wheelchair, pushed herself up, stood sturdy on her two feet, and began to dance around the hospital room and began to praise God and say, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. Nurses and doctors and technicians came into the room to observe such a thing, and they were gobsmacked by what had happened. They couldn't explain it. With all the commotion that was going on, the pastor quietly slipped out of the hospital room, made his way back to the parking deck, validated his parking ticket, and prayed to God saying, God, don't ever do that to me again. (laughs) It's not just like in life, but in particular in our spiritual life. Like We like to be in control. We want a God who's predictable. We, we want to know what to expect. It's hard for us to desire to be spiritually porous, to open ourselves up to God in, in that way. And for some of us, it makes us quite uneasy, occurrences like the Asbury Revival, or even skeptical of testimonies of people saying that God moved in their life in a powerful way, in a miraculous way. There's a fragility in that. The text set before us this morning is a section of scripture from Paul's correspondence with the congregation in Corinth. Uh, It's got Paul inviting the community to actually replace their skepticism with an openness to God's work and salvation in their midst, in their life. Paul says as much in verse 13, now you know why I wanted to go to the very end, when he says to the Corinthians, open wide your hearts. Open wide your hearts. One note on context here that's really important to understand what Paul is getting at, there was was a lot of discord, there was a lot of discontinuity, there was a lot of strife between Paul and this community. They were at odds with each other over certain things, and community members within that church in Corinth we were also at odds with one another. There was factionalism, there was conflict, there were opposing beliefs and teachings about the Eucharist, about the resurrection, about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, about true and proper worship of God. But because salvation for Paul fundamentally means to be reconciled to God, and to be reconciled to one another through Christ, both in this age and in the age to come, Paul, rather, appeals to the community that no one should take the gospel in vain. It says, do not take the gospel in vain. And in this context, I think, to take the gospel in vain would mean to ignore the fact that God's salvation, that God's reconciliatory and transformative power and presence and love was somehow not accessible to this community. That somehow they were cut off from it. To take the gospel in vain would mean believing that God's presence could not or would not show up in the midst of sin or in the midst of discord or in the midst of broken relationships, in the midst of division. And if you're like me, you know exactly what that's like, right? To carry that kind of skepticism in your heart, to believe that the way things have been will be the way they always will be. I mean, we look around in the world, we look inwardly into our inner life, and we wonder could God show up here? Or or could God show up here? Could Christ do something redemptive and restorative in my life, or in the person's life that I'm praying for, or, or in our society, in our culture, in our world? Paul is a lot of things. But Paul is not skeptical. Borrowing from the prophet Isaiah, Paul declares that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, today, in your midst. Now is the time. This is something I believe those who are part of the Asbury Revival and anyone who has had a personal renewal of faith understands they understand the heart of the question why not now why not this moment why not this hour why not this minute why not open our hearts to God's presence and salvation in a new way today Paul says that now is the acceptable time now is the acceptable time the word we translate as accessible, accessible, rather, in the Greek is the word dektos, which means a favorable time or a welcome time. In fact, that same word is used in the Gospels to describe the welcome of Jesus. In other words, it's the right time, right now, right now, to receive God, to receive reconciliation, to receive salvation, to be bound together to God and to one another. Our skepticism says, well, well, God isn't going to be in that hospital room or God won't be on that street corner when I have no place to lay my head or, or that God is far from my grief or that God's presence is distance, distant from me and my addiction, and my habits, and my sin. Paul says now's the time. And here's the place to receive God. The season of Lent is a beautiful season. It's a hard season. There's no hallmark cards for Lent. There's no commercials for Lent. There's no gift giving in Lent. Only the gift that you and I present ourselves to God. But Lent is a gift to us it's a gift that we can be open to God's salvation it's a time to reflect on on God's sacrificial love for us in and through Jesus Christ a love that was willing to experience the cross as Jesus himself said to remember what he said for there is no greater love than this when one lays down their life for their friends and he says you are my friends As Paul declared in Romans 8, there is nothing can separate us from this love. Nothing. Not your sin, not your skepticism, not your grief, not your self-doubt, not your fear, not your shame, not your pride, not your anxiety, not your arrogance, not your depression, not your uncertainty, not your situation, not the fragility of your faith or the fragility of your unbelief. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The season of Lent is a gift to the church. It's a gift to us, and I hope we receive it as such. It invites us to an openness and a vulnerability to the presence and love and salvation of God. And as we mark this time later in our service, in this first Sunday of Lent, we'll gather at this table. We call it communion because we believe that we commune with God and we commune with one another. It's a foretaste of the salvation that's already at hand that will culminate once and for all in the age to come. And at this table, we remember and claim Christ's forgiveness and mercy and love and justice for us and for this world. And the Holy Spirit empowers us as we take this bread and we drink this cup to bear witness to these same gifts. The Lenten season and Christ's table remind us that now is the acceptable time of salvation. Now is the time. Be open to it. For God is in our midst. Christ is with us and for us. Our salvation is at hand. And so as we prepare to receive Christ himself, I want to invite you to take a posture of prayer. Close your eyes, keep them open, open your hands, fold them in your lap, whatever's comfortable. As I pray for all of us, myself included, the words that the writer to the Ephesians prayed about this openness. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. I pray that we would know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, so that we all may be filled with the fullness of God. Amen.